I am proud to be working with Jean-Paul Gaultier to show that everyone has the power within them to make it rain with pride. Jean-Paul Gaultier has been a champion of the LGBTQ community from the very beginning in 1982, consistently creating a place of inclusivity for all from fashion to fragrance. From dressing men in skirts to the iconic sailor fragrance bottles, right through to being the first designer to cast transgender models in their fashion week show back in 2014. When it comes to embracing the LGBTQ plus community in its entirety, there is no one quite like Jean-Paul Gaultier. The brand remains a symbol of queer freedom, a freedom to dress how you want, be who you want and love who you want. And the gorgeous new rainbow limited edition Lamel Pride Collector Bottle symbolizes just that. And even better, 100% of the profits go towards the National LGBTQ plus Youth Homelessness Charity, AKT, who have provided over 250,000 nights off the street for LGBTQ plus young people at risk of or experiencing homelessness. And with Jean-Paul Gaultier's help, more LGBTQ plus youth will feel safer. You can pick up your very own Lamel Pride Bottle right now from Look Fantastic. Hello and welcome to this very special mini-series, Make It Rain with Pride. I'm Josh Smith, a journalist and presenter, and I've learned so much from the incredible people I've met throughout my career, especially on this very podcast. And it feels only right to share the amazing words of wisdom I've heard with you. This podcast is all about celebrating the successes of some of our favourite kings and queens who open up about the obstacles and adversity they've had to overcome in their lives by telling the stories of how they found the power to make it rain. This special series is something super close to my heart as it's dedicated to celebrating all the amazing members and allies of the LGBTQ community. I needed role models like these people you'll meet in this series, not only when I was growing up, but throughout my life. So I hope these open and honest conversations also encourage you to live authentically as you and make it rain with pride every damn day, no matter how you identify. In this episode of Make It Rain, we are joined by writer and activist Paris Lees. Paris's career has involved so many high-profile firsts. She was the first openly trans woman to present a show on Radio 1, to present a show on Channel 4, to appear on Question Time, and become a contributing editor for Vogue. She's even had a cameo in Hollyoaks, addressed the Oxford Union, and has even given evidence at the Home Affairs Select Committee on Prostitution Laws. And now Paris has released her first book, a memoir called What It Feels Like for a Girl. It's a brutally honest account of her being groomed for sex work as a teenager, the abuse she suffered from her father, how she ended up in prison as a teen, and how she came to terms with her true identity. Paris opens up about all of that, how there is so much more to her than the label of being a trans woman and the importance of female friendships. There are so many thought-provoking words in this episode, so I hope you take just as much away from it as I did. So get ready to wear those crowns with pride. Babe, how are you? I'm fucking fantastic. Am I yes! allowed to swear? Am I, can I swear? We can swear. You can swear to your heart's content. Give all Brilliant. the fucks today. Uh, well, yeah, I, 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 that's great. I, it's nice to know that I'm among friends and I can speak freely. <laughs> Absolutely, that's what this queendom is all about. Love and it. this season of Make It Rain is all about celebrating all things pride. And I want to kick off by asking you, sitting here in 2021, what does pride mean to you? Oh gosh, okay, I don't want to be a damp blanket, but I think I'm kind of sick of it personally. I'm just like, you know, because I get overwhelmed really easily. And I think because mm. I follow all of the accounts, it's like, I, I feel like people are screaming pride at me, like every, every, like I'm, I'm being harassed by the pride season. You know, I can't get yeah. through my day without people going on. So I personally would like a festival to escape pride personally. <laughs> but, but on the, on the, on the, it is great that we have it. And 
and it is great that everybody's getting behind it and it is great that we have a time to celebrate uh, our pride and I think just genuinely this book is is mm. you know there are things in my I don't want to do any anyone down you know because I'm incredibly proud of my relationship with Vogue I'm incredibly proud of doing question time things like that but when I handed this book in I I genuinely cried because I was like I've done something good mm. like unequivocally good it's not some attention seeking social media post or something it's like this was a huge commitment it was a hard thing to do and and I and I and I yeah it, it, if I don't do anything else I've done one good thing with my life you know I just felt like you you did good Paris and I and I don't think I've really felt like that before and it was like I think I just so desperately 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 wanted to feel like I had value when I was growing up and and I and and I'm, I'm genuinely genuinely proud of myself yeah it was it was it was an incredibly emotional process well, you should be proud of yourself because it's a coming-of-age memoir in so many ways. And what it feels like for a girl recounts your life growing up in Hucknall in Nottinghamshire. And I love the fact you use the Midlands dialect all the way through. When I first read it, I was like, what's going on? And I was like, oh my God, they started to hear your voice coming through. And I thought it was so powerful. And you speak about so many naughty things, which I completely forgot about from like smoking clubs, like literally like Nokia's to Walkman's to also, before I go any further, the fact you had a Venga Boys pencil case. I can't cope. I'm so jealous. Yeah. So I didn't realise like how old I was until I sat down to write this book. And I'm, I'm 85 years old. Like I'm literally, I'm 90 is the next big birthday. I'm just like, how, like, this is like a historical epoch. Like it's, I cannot believe that, that we lived through that. Like, and, and it, you know, it also coincides with this, you know, change that we've had in our culture with the, with iPhones coming in, right. Mm. In, in the noughties. And it's like, it's a real line in the sand. It's almost like before television arrived or before the railways arrived, it's like, our whole way of living and the way that we communicate and connect and just everything changed. I guess it was like a sense of ownership. Like I want to make it mine, you know, mm. and, 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 and connect with other people who were there at the time and also introduce it to people who may not have even been born, you know, when, when, <laughs> when the action in this book is happening. So I, I hope that, that that nostalgia will appeal to people. Yeah, it's like, it was like an amazing time capsule. There's so many things that I literally, you said, and I was like, oh my God, I completely forgot about that. But I think what's so important about what you're touching on is it's so great to have this level of escapism in it, in a very, and at places it is a very tough read. And it's a very um, monumental story about growing up. And I think it's so incredible. And it's not about being trans, which I think is so important. Was it an important thing for you to write something that wasn't, wasn't necessarily a trans memoir? Well, I originally, but part of the reason it's taken so long is because it's been through all of these twists and turns, but originally I didn't mention gender at all or, or, or you know, trans mm. or anything like that because I knew that would be the focus. If I so yeah. much as mentioned it, people would say, oh, it's a trans book. And it drives me crazy, Josh. Like, because people try and put you in this box. And of course, mm. I talk about this stuff and I can't not be a trans person, you know. But it's like, mm. it's just, you know, I mean, yes, I was bullied because I was trans. So it's connected in that sense. But it's like, that bullying affects me today. You know, mm. the experiences that I had, the experiences growing up in Nottingham, the cultural references, all of that stuff is really important to who I am today as well. It's a book about yes. life and being alive and, 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 and growing up and being a human being. And it just mm. so happens to be that I'm a human being who is trans. So I hope that people are intelligent enough to, to see that. And I'm really, you know, glad that you've, you said that because I know that that's what people are expecting from me. And they're going to be really disappointed if they're expecting a transition narrative. But there is, that stuff is in there because you know i you know i was you know at the start of that process at that time but it's certainly not the focus mm, because i think it also becomes it must become tiresome as an individual to always have to write about or talk about the experience of being transgender because ultimately there are 600 million other things that goes into identity 
apart from that, right? Like, and it's like, there's so many things that define you away from that label. Well, it's it's complicated because obviously one of the things that I'm well known for writing about and talking about is trans people, right? And I know mm. that, and that's, that's something that I've chosen to do and put out there, but it's not the only thing. You spend years talking about this stuff. It's like, when I'm in my personal life, when I go on holiday, when I'm hanging out with my friends, I am not talking about this stuff. And I mm. say it on Twitter sometimes and people don't believe me and they're like, oh yeah, you're like a broken record. And it's like, no, when I come online, I see people attacking trans people. I see all of these headlines about trans people and I feel that I'm articulate and I've got a platform and I feel that every now and then it's worth using my voice to try and counteract some of the misinformation and the hatred that we're receiving. But it's literally the most boring thing in the world to me. I don't talk about that when I go and get my hair done. Yes. I talk about the guy the guy that I'm dating and I talk about yeah. the, the hair and the, and the books that I'm reading and where I'm going on holiday and this great recipe. Like, I am a person. I would actually be very happy to just forget about being trans and never mention it ever again for the rest of my life. But clearly, so long as my existence poses a problem to people, I'm going to have to keep using my voice to push back on mm. it. But it's, 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 for me, it is literally the least interesting, not the least interesting, but one of the, the least interesting things about my life in 2021. I mean, what mm. is there to say after a certain point? Mm. That's what I think is so powerful about the book. And then because it's so rich and you cover so many topics and there were times where my jaw was on the floor like I was I was reading through it and I was like oh my god what's coming next and you're like oh my god and it's so incredible that you have really looked at yourself in this whole warts and all approach like you don't hide from anything really and I think as humans we always find it quite difficult to excavate ourselves and to look at ourselves and be like do you know what I'm gonna call out my own behavior in that situation. I'm gonna call myself out or I'm gonna show myself in this unpolished light. How cathartic was it for you to look at yourself in that way? People always say, you know, writing it must have been cathartic. And actually it wasn't, it was really painful and it was really difficult. Mm. But what I do think is potentially very healing and we're at the start of that process now is feeling heard mm. because I didn't feel heard when I was growing up and I was desperately, desperately trying to tell, and I was very articulate and, you know, precocious as a child. I was desperately trying to tell the people around me who I was and what I needed and they couldn't hear me, mm. you know? And I suffered years of completely unnecessary uh misery as as a consequence because they, they they couldn't give me what I needed and it was hugely frustrating but on some level for people to have a, an ounce of understanding of what it was like growing up in those circumstances I do think can really help me draw a line finally under that trauma and and move on from it you know, because mm. I don't want to be a professional victim and I'm not a professional victim, which is, I think, something that trans people have traditionally been sort of, that's that's a space that we've occupied culturally mm. because we have been victimised, you know. So again, it's another complicated one. How do you talk about the things that have happened to you that are really difficult without just, you know, yeah, just being the sort of, you know, victim all the time? And and I think that, that this this is the start of a, you know, making peace with my past. Because mm. I think talking openly and honestly about your experiences is ultimately the best thing you can always do for yourself. And I was thinking about self-hatred the other day. And there's a line in the book that really got me. We were talking about where some of the local boys from school were waiting for you at the end of this alleyway. And you said, who cares if they think I'm a big perf? Everyone keeps telling me, so I must be. I deserve it. I deserve to be beaten up. And I used to feel exactly, th th it was like that line was speaking to me so much from my like childhood. And we were very similar ages. So I literally felt like I was in your headspace when you were saying that. And it really made me think about the level of self-hatred I used to have for myself and how whenever someone used to say something negative or call me a name or do whatever or intimidate me or physically or emotionally or whatever, I always used to think I deserved the hate. 
And I was wondering, like, how has your relationship with that internalized hatred changed? And how has your relationship with shame and self-hatred changed? It's a good question. I think there was one time we were in the street and I, I talk about this in the, in the book, I think, um, where I was with, I was with my, my, my best friend who was a trans woman of colour. I mean, at that point, we wouldn't have described ourselves in those terms. We, I think we said that we were female impersonators or something because that was, that was the language that we had. And we used to get abused and it was a, it was a similar kind of thing where it would be like, well, you've asked for it because you've you've come out dressed as a, a woman. What do you expect? Mm. You've come out, you, you're trying to pretend that you're a girl. You deserve it. And I just remember this one time that these girls were really rude to us at the garage after a, a long weekend. And they were just really rude and say, oh, you know, that's a man. And um, called us names. And just something in me snapped. And I just remember feeling this really deep sense of injustice of like, it, nobody deserves to be treated like that. Like, I should be able to go about my business and I'm not hurting anybody. And it, it's, it's difficult overcoming those years of being told that you are the problem. You're the problem. And it still happens. It's still happening today, you know, that I'm being framed as the problem in society. We need every child to be feel safe going to school and and sadly mm. we know that's not the case I, d I don't know if you saw the story of the 12 year old boy a week ago it was revealed it's a really sweet sensitive boy who'd been homophobically bullied 12 years old um took his own life and it just breaks my heart to mm. think that that is where we're at now in 2021 it is still happening there are still kids today that were afraid, af afraid to leave their front door. And do we want to live in a society like that? I don't, which is why we've got to talk about this stuff because it's mm. not over, sadly. I wish it was. I wish I could say that this is all ancient history, but it's, it's not. Mm. There are so many moments where you think we've come so far. And I think back to like the younger me who was bullied and really struggled with my identity and really hated myself for it. And then I think back now and I, I do certain things or I have certain conversations like, oh my God, I really wish like younger me could hear this chat or was like, could see me doing this and be like, it's gonna be okay. You're absolutely gonna be fine. And then I think that, oh my God, it's so much better for kids growing up today. But in some realities it is, like they have role models, they can find role models more easily in a way that we couldn't really, like the only real, role models I had were kind of like the butt jokes in comedy shows like that's basically what every gay character was but like do you feel like you have kind of become the role model you needed when you were younger I don't like the term role model because frankly I've made some terrible decisions in mm. my life and I reserve the right to uh, continue making bad decisions. Yes. Um, I'm not going to rob anybody. Again, I should just make that clear, um, <laughs> you know, but uh, so that really doesn't sit well with me. And honestly, I don't, you know, maybe I'm not the, the most appropriate person to be a role model uh but i i think that you could call me a possibility model you know mm. i was born into a world where you know trans people didn't appear on the cover of magazines or win awards or really were, were celebrated in in any way to, to i mean there was i think there was like there was like caroline cosse in the, the bond girl in the 90s the 80s um, so it's not like I don't want to diminish, you know, that there were some people out there doing their thing, but um, there were very few and far between. Mm. And, and that has changed. So mm. that's that's positive. That is a positive. Well, yeah, whether you see yourself as a role model or not, I think you are a queen and you are Thank wearing you. that crown with pride now, like we've been saying. But who do you think's passed the crown on to you and inspired you the most in your life? Oh, good question. Good question. Well, I'm inspired a lot by writers, particularly writers who didn't have their careers handed to them on a silver platter. 
So we're a similar kind of age, but she, her book came out before me. So Renia Do Lodge has had one of the biggest selling books of the past 10 years. And not that it's about that, you know, it's been a hugely influential book and it's, and it's a good book. Um, so I've really been following her journey and she's really inspired me in, you know, in, in, in terms of the way I want to put my book out. Edouard Louis as well, who had a very similar trajectory with his life. He was, he grew up in like sort of rural France um, and was bullied. Um, and I think his book starts with the line, you know, I don't have any happy memories from my childhood. And he's gone on to be like this amazing literary sensation in France. And, you know, he's been profiled in the New York Times and everything. And I think as a working class person, just knowing how hard mm. that transition in and of itself, but to do that, you know, as, as somebody, you know, like a woman of colour or as a gay man, I find that really inspiring. Um, I guess in terms of the people from like back in the day, I guess every every trans woman that, that came before me, you know, and the hostility that they face. I do obviously see myself uh, a lot in April Ashley, uh, who's just... Uh, hilarious um Nadia Armada when she was on Big Brother that was the first time that I'd ever seen anybody that was iconic that was culture yeah. changing in so many ways oh it ways. was yeah because it was a popularity contest and she mm. won it for god's sake because she was hilarious um and and that was yeah that was the first time that I was like oh I could like she is a person like because mm. I just thought trans people were like aliens the way that I'd heard them I didn't realize that you could like still be a, a like a, a valid human being mm. is it do, does that sound crazy saying that no I totally get what you mean I totally understand that because I remember seeing Nadia on Big Brother and I was like oh my god she's amazing like yeah and it was so against all these stereotypes that we were told that trans people were like or what the trans experience like it was a fully fleshed out person. And you were yeah. seeing that like unfiltered. I thought that was just, I always remember how incredible watching that was. Yeah. And they interacted with her mm. like she was a person. And yes. it just blew my mind because I'd, I'd just seen, you know, these, these people and they were always presented in this really sort of like othering kind of way. Mm. Like it was a freak show, like they were exhibits. And I remember the odd times that they'd come on television late at night when I was a kid thinking, oh my God, like how do they, how do they go and buy milk? They, like they, sure, they they're not allowed to walk into a shop, are they? You know, like, it, it just seems so far outside of my level of understanding. And then when I saw Nadia, I was like, oh, I could still have friends and eat sandwiches and be a person. I thought she 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 kept it pretty classy. She's, yeah, she's iconic. Um, and Calpurnia Adams, who was a YouTuber back in the day, um, she was really cool and... Uh, I think she had this one video called Bad Questions to Ask a Transsexual. And I just, it was the first time that I'd seen it. And she was like, it's the first time that I'd seen somebody explain the idea that actually it's not the trans person that's the problem. It's everybody else. Yes. And that blew my mind. It blew mm. my mind because nobody presented that viewpoint to me before. Like, oh, actually, maybe you're the problem. Maybe it's not me. Maybe it's, maybe it's all you people that are, you know, treating me like this, which I, sort of known anyway on an emotional level but for her to sort of articulate it that blew my mind so um yeah yeah so there's 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 some there's some cool cool ladies that that came before me and and also as well I remember when I when I first transitioned googling because again I didn't see anybody that was respected in the culture and I was like there must be some people like me that have done something good somewhere at some mm. point and I found there was this woman called Christine Burns, right, who was an activist in the 90s. And she'd campaigned to, along with other people, um, to, to, to get the law changed so that you could change your, your passport and things like that. And, and that, that was the Gender Recognition uh, Act that I think came in like 2004 or something. So like we've all benefited from, from the work that she'd done. But that blew my mind. And I was like, oh, OK, maybe I could... I could be a person. Does this sound ridiculous? No, it makes complete sense because you can't, like, there's always that old, that, that much you saying you can't be what you can't see. And 
like that is so true and that speaks so much of what you're saying because I, I I mean not to compare the experience but like I remember thinking well I can't be a fully rounded person who can go yeah. on to have a normal life because I'm a homosexual boy like and I come from a working class background and I live in a semi-detached council house and like like all these things are so far removed from my experience I can't do that like how am I gonna how am I gonna live how am I gonna mm. Mm. find my own path because I thought that I was always gonna be like you're saying like some sort of like subhuman version of what I thought I should be and yeah. now I can sit here and be like I'm a fully fledged rounded person and I can be whatever I want to be and I think that's a really difficult place to get to. But once you get there, you're like, oh my God, it's incredible. Yeah. And what was what was that all about? And it just breaks my heart. And, you know, you, you seem so cheerful and positive and well-rounded in, in 2021. And I just think, yeah, it's just, I just, my heart breaks for like that you grew up feeling like that. But it's like, what else were you supposed to, like if you literally grew up with people saying, oh, there's something wrong with you, you're a pervert, you're mentally ill, you're this, you're that. And, you know, even like when I came out, I remember my mum saying like, oh, you know, you're not going to have children, you're never going to be in a relationship. And she wasn't being nasty. It's like, Mm. that wasn't an unreasonable thing to think at that time. And so what are you supposed to think? You think, oh, my life is going to be shit. You know, mm. and, and, and and I did feel suicidal because I was getting abused in the street and things like that. And it's it's like, I remember thinking, well, oh, okay, well, if the rest of my life is going to be like this and I'm probably not going to be able to get a job and or even just walk down the street, like, safely without people harassing me and abusing me, like, I probably don't want to live the rest mm. of my life like this. And I know so many people you know, over the past 10 years who have made that decision, it just makes me really sad. It just Mm. makes me so unspeakably sad, you know, how many people's lights have been extinguished unnecessarily. Mm. I think what's so important about what you've just said as well is that in the LGBTQ plus community, there needs to be more spectrum grace because I think one of the things that, brings us all together in a collective experience is those moments where we thought we weren't enough and I think everyone who's part of that community has felt that at some point they felt like a lesser human because of that and I think that's always something so important to bear in mind when we talk about the LGBTQ plus community because yes we all are very different under that umbrella the labels are different the identities are different the experiences are different but that that thing is something that really is the umbrella that houses us all together, don't you think? I agree, yeah, I agree. And I just, you know, listen, I mean, trans people in particular are less than 1% of the population. So we need to join together with people, you know, and try and make friends and try and build, you know, a coalition of kindness. Uh, and <laughs> it, it's it's difficult because I don't want to be like, oh, you know, please be nice to us. But it's like... Well, how else are we going to create a kind of society? How else are we going to make a society that's nice for trans people to live in unless we're working with other people to make society kinder in general Mm. for everybody? You know, because it's not like we can pull a boycott or something that's really going to make a huge difference to, to anybody. So it's like we need allies. We all need to be we need to be allies we need to look out for each other it just needs to be i love what you said about the coalition of kindness i just made that up just now do you like that's it stunning let's trademark that i'm Get good that with words josh yeah. they, 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 they say i'm good with words there we go yeah. coalition of kindness we're all about that well we're going to be keeping up these good words these stunning words in fact straight after this little break No Scent celebrates everything the queer spirit is about, like Jean-Paul Gaultier fragrances. The iconic fragrance, Lamel, has had a rainbow makeover this Pride season, and the Pride Collector Bottle is available at Look Fantastic right now. 100% of profits from each purchase will go towards the national LGBTQ plus youth homelessness charity, AKT. This will help more young people live freely, openly and honestly, something Make It Rain and Jean-Paul Gaultier are all about, championing this Pride Month and every month. 
Make It Rain is proud to be working with Aurelia London, the experts in probiotic skincare. This year, I've been learning about the wonders of using a resurfacing product in my skincare regime, so get ready for an education. Resurfacing your skin encourages cell turnover, which helps your skin in so many ways. I've been using Aurelia's new resurfacing serum. It's formulated with a natural retinol alternative, Bacuchiol. Combined with probiotics and niacinamide, this soothing wonder serum enhances radiance no matter what skin type or concerns you have, or even when skin is feeling a bit dull. And it's not affected by UV rays, so it can be used day or night. That's the dream, right? It's got a gorgeous, lightweight texture that gently resurfaces skin to reveal your brightest glow. It's the ultimate summer serum, babes. And because Aurelia London and Make It Rain are all about empowering people to glow inside and out, I've got a special code for you. Get 20% off the entire range by heading to aurelialondon.com and using the code JOSH20 at the checkout. So hi, babes. You back with some more stunning words? I have. I feel like we got really, like, serious and earnest in the first half. So... I, I just yeah I'm just like really conscious of like always going on these things and complaining and but there's some heavy stuff to talk about right but I think I think a bit of levity is good yes we yeah I think a bit of levity is good and also it's important to be talking about these things because someone will be listening to this right now and they'll be like oh this is helping me feel at peace and I think that's yes. what's important about open and honest conversations and one of the yes. things that is very hopeful about the book and which you talk about, which I think is so wonderful, is your chosen family. And I think that is, as a community, like chosen family is such an important thing, isn't it? What does the concept of chosen family mean to you? And when have you leaned on chosen family the most in your life? Well, I think that time in particular you know and and again just to get a little bit heavy you know we know that lgbtq youth are much more likely to be suffering from things like mental health issues addiction homelessness uh you know this sort of thing and we also know uh, from our own experiences and from the research that family rejection is a huge factor in mm. those things it's not rocket science, is it? You know, like we all need a family. I mean, your, your family is literally supposed to be your buffer against the sort of harsh realities of life, you know, that we all have to deal with. So when your family is your, your biggest source of hostility in many ways, as, as mine was at that time, then you're forced to go out and find a new family. Luckily for me, Nottingham was full of some absolutely incredibly vibrant, charismatic characters. And um, yeah, like just the the power of friendship and, and, and particularly with my best friend, Steffi, who is Lady Di in the book. Um, she, just like, there are things that I can talk to her about that nobody else will be able to understand. And there are things, you know, that are really different between our experience as well, because as I say, she's a trans woman of colour, you know, so I don't, I mean, I saw, I mean, I sort of knew at the time and, you know, I'll never know completely, but I think the, the more time goes on, the more I realise like just how much more she was maybe going through that I didn't quite understand mm. at the time. And I did see it and, and we did have those conversations. It's just so important to have a friendship like that, you know, and who knows if I'll, if I'll, if I'll get married and have children one day and stuff, you know, if I do, that's great. That's, that's wonderful. But I think the older I get, the more I realise that, that female friendships are so important. And I look at, um, Jane Fonda and her friendship with, uh, Lily Tomlin and, um, Dolly Parton and, and Jane Fonda had a lot of trauma when she was growing up and she speaks really openly and honestly about um, confronting that trauma. And she speaks really powerfully about the importance of lifelong female friendships. And um, I do feel a bit sorry for guys, actually, because I, I know some of my friends, guy friends in their 30s, you know, they, they struggle to, 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 to meet new friends and they have a hard time as well. So we, we've all got our own sort of cross to bear, really. Um, but I think for, for, for me in particular, having that family at that time was so important to me 
and and really just opened up up my 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 world and just injected it with all of this vibrancy and fun and joy and you know uh, there was a lot of bitchiness as well let's be honest and, and uh, you know it wasn't it wasn't all it wasn't all song song and dance and I don't think I realized at the time just how much we needed each other mm. and how much I, and and now now I look back back on it and I think how lucky was I to find her in particular you know I couldn't have put this book out without the blessing of some key people including my parents and I know you know you're, you're going to ask me about them at some point I'm sure but her you know I mean I think she well you know she she gets up to no good but I think she she comes out of it pr- pretty pretty well um but but I, it was really important to me you know are you happy with me doing this you know because I can't put this book out if you're not happy with it I just because you're such an important part of it and you know she said to me Paris when you told me that you were writing this book I was like thank god because if you didn't write all this stuff down I'd have had to have done it and she's delighted that I've captured those experiences because I think Mm. we sort of knew at the time that our experiences were shall we say unusual and and heightened and we would tell people about our our sort of adventures and we we knew that it was you know that it was it was you know that that we were creating some pretty special stories and and it's just so wonderful to feel that she's excited about it and that so many other people are excited about this book coming out because it doesn't just feel like me it feels like it's it feels like it's our story in a sense and it's also mm. my grandmother's story as well who's 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 not with us anymore uh, and and so it 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 almost feels like a a tribute and a love letter to so many different people as well as an exploration of trauma and and mm. all those other things which is which is why when people call it a trans memoir it just really annoys me because it's like it's just so reductive mm. you know th- this is this is this is a tribute to the power of friendship and and love which i hope that doesn't sound really pretentious no, it doesn't because that's what true friendships are about. Like when you were saying that, like you were saying how much that person you needed each other at that time. And that is true friendship, isn't it? That's where you're like, wow, I found my person. I found my people. And that is such an incredible experience and a feeling when you feel that it's, it's incredible. So that's why it's so powerful to write about it. But when you think back, like, when was a moment when you were like, wow, I feel so amazing in this moment with my friend on this adventure, we are loving life. What kind of adventure was that when you felt like that or can remember feeling like that? Honestly, most of it's not repeatable. Um, (laughs) Thought that might be the answer. We just, we would, we would just, we were just absolutely crazy. We would, we would just literally, we just, I'm surprised that we didn't get killed. Seriously, like we just, I look back now and I think, God, you were just so like putting yourself in these dangerous situations. Um, we went to one big Sunday once and um, and she said, oh, she's diabetic. And she was like, oh, I, I'm, I'm feeling really dizzy and everything. And I was like, yeah, girl, yeah. I was like, come on, let's push our way to the front. So we sort of like pushed our way. It was, excuse me, excuse me, she's, she's, she's diabetic. She's having a moment kind of thing. And, and we got to the front and they sort of like, pulled pulled her over the security guys pulled her over the over the thing and I was like I've got to go with her I'm a best friend you know kind of thing so we got to go back backstage and there was Mystique and Atomic Kitten oh my god and and she was there and I was like well done babes wink face (laughs) and she was like no I I I actually nearly died um You may have just got to meet Jenny Frost from Atomic Kitten, but I know <laughs> I almost I, died. Oh, well, I thought that she just done it for attention, you know. Um, but no, she, she she was really ill that day. But um, but but we did meet uh, Mystique, um, and uh, we just used to go out. We'd spend all our money on uh, terrible things, and we'd get completely intoxicated, and then we'd have to skank the train back. And uh, we were just outrageous. We we really were. We were just outrageous. To quote Mystique themselves, it's so, 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 so scandalous. So, 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 so scandalous. Scandalous. It was, it was. And I'm just like, but I don't, you know, I don't, I don't advise that people go out and and do that because I was way too young, you know, like I was, I was, Mm. and I was very tall and I was, I was, I was a child, you know, when I was doing most of this stuff. Um, But at the same time, I sort of don't regret it because 
otherwise my life would have just been completely miserable if I hadn't have insisted on going out and finding fun. But, you know, I do wish that I'd, I'd taken a bit more care of myself. And I, I hope that kids today are not, are not feeling like they want to behave in that way. Mm. I think that's what, there were actually so many moments in the book where I wanted to go jump into it and give young you a hug. And it was particularly in the moments where you talked about being groomed and the sex work you were doing as a teenager and it was almost like because the way you write it you write it from that 14 year old you who's doing it who can't see you can you can see how it's wrong but not like necessarily to what extent it's wrong and I thought that was so powerful what was that like having to step back into the the shoes of that teenage you and almost like relive that stuff and then from that perspective in a way it's been a bit of a process really to sort of understand what happened to me mm. because at the time I, I thought I knew what I was doing right and I thought that I was grown up but obviously I wasn't and I remember writing about my experiences of being paid for doing sexual stuff at that age in the Guardian I'd written about it and then a magazine did a write-up based on the thing that I'd written in The Guardian. And they said she opened up about being abused when she was 14. And I'd never used that word to describe those experiences before. Mm. And it was really confronting, actually. And I remember thinking, oh my God, what else would you call it? Of course it was abuse. If I knew somebody or saw somebody that was taking advantage or exploiting somebody that age now, I would stop it from happening and I would call the police. It's wrong. Those men should not have been doing that. They should have known better. And I think I sort of knew that at the time, but it was really important for me to sort of show how kids who have been made to feel that they don't have any value can be taken advantage of in, 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 in that way. And I just have this need to talk about my experiences and try and process them and understand them and, and try and make some, some sense of them. And it's like, I'm not the only person that went through that. You know, this happened and it's probably still happening. You know, it's slightly different now because we've got the internet, but is happening in towns around this country and we don't want to talk about it. So if I hadn't have talked about this, who's going to talk about it? Mm. We're having this moral panic um, about trans people in this country at the moment, but nobody's talking about the real abuse that's happening to these, these vulnerable kids. Nobody's speaking up for them and saying, actually, how do we stop this thing that is actually happening? because they're too focused on this imagined, perceived threat that trans rights may pose, that they are saying will pose, but there's no evidence that this, mm. you know, that, that, that it's, it's causing problems, you know, whereas there is this problem of young people being taken advantage of. And it just, it's so frustrating to me that people make me feel that my presence in public toilets, for instance, is a problem for other people when I've actually been abused in public toilets and nobody seems to care about that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes complete sense because you've only got to, I'm not sure if you've seen this, but there was an Ofsted report that looked at um, school-aged children, especially teenagers, and how how much young girls are being affected and abused by boys in, se in terms of sexist name-calling, um, the kind of like the jokes about rape culture, the sending of images without their consent and how they're like coerced into it as well. And there's all these cultures, that's all this stuff that's happening, but people don't seem to want to really talk about it, to address it, to then solve the issue, right? Like, yeah, that's the most important thing is talking about it so that we change the culture in order for people to feel that they can call out behaviours. I, I I agree and I and I I just feel like as a trans person you are sort of forced to confront who you are, you know, and, and 
and sort of go into battle with everybody around you. And I do understand, you know, you know, there are people in my family, their coping mechanism is to just put things to the, to the back of their mind and I guess sweep it under the carpet. And I understand that. And there have been points of this process, you know, often I ask myself, you know, have you done the right thing putting this out there? You know, because once you mm. put it out there, it's out there forever. And don't you think there's a huge part of me that just wants to forget that that was my past? Yeah. Don't you think there's a huge part of me that would just like to pretend that it never happened and draw a line under it? Um, but but I guess that's just not the path that I've chosen, you know. So, you know, for, for better or worse, I've, I've decided to, 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 to live my life publicly and to have these difficult conversations in public. And, and if it can help move the conversation on and and help other people understand and process what's happened to them. Because I just think so many people, particularly in the LGBTQ community, are really traumatised. And I'm a deeply flawed person, you know, and I've, I've, I've not always been a particularly nice person throughout my life. And it's because I went through this trauma because of my upbringing and because of the stigma and the shame and the bullying that I experienced, you know, Matthew Todd talks about it in his book, Straight Jackets. And I think really for me, the past few years during the writing of this book has gone hand in hand with what I would call going into recovery. Mm. And, I, and I sort of feel guilty because my method of dealing with it is, is kind of putting it all out there and saying, let's, let's have a chat, you know, but it's, it's just something that I've, I've needed to do really. And I encourage other people to, to do it and it is the hardest thing mm. to sit back and look at your your pain your trauma and your failings ultimately and 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 and, and what effect those experiences have had on you but it's all also one of the most rewarding and and has fundamentally changed me this whole process mm. I'm, I'm just not the person that i was when i when i started on this journey because mm. that's basically what make it rain this podcast is all about it's about showing people the struggles that they've been through, the the things they've had to overcome, the hurdles they've had to jump over, the traumas they've had to deal with, and ultimately how they've learned to find their power and make it rain over their own lives, because everyone's got the power to do that. No matter what you go through, you've always got your own power. And I think what's so amazing about your story, and it particularly one part of your story that really stuck with me is how you dropped out of college, and then you ended up then doing a, a stint in prison and you went back to college and then you took your A-levels and you successfully went on to go to university and you graduated. And I just thought, what an amazing story of hope because there is so much, you must have had to delve so deep within yourself to find the power to not only change your life or change the circumstances you found yourself in, but then to push yourself forward. Like how, incredible was that to find that power well it's incredible for people to sort of recognize it now because i know how difficult my life has been and again it's not in a sort of like poor me kind of way so i know mm. the decisions that i've had i know the sacrifices and i know the struggles that i've had to make and um, that's why I've just got the utmost respect for anybody who doesn't come from a background of privilege that manages to sort of make it big in the city, right? You know, yeah. and, and I don't think people realise how amazing it is that, that you're here doing what you're doing, you know, and, and it, it takes one to know one, doesn't it? You know, mm. and, and I think that it, it, is, it is satisfying to sort of be at the stage now where, where people you know, are, are saying these things to me and it, and it, and it, and it breaks my heart thinking about all of the talented, amazing, charismatic, just wonderful people that I know who haven't had the break. I just hope that it's easier for people that are coming up now. And I, I look at some young people who are supported by their families and, um, it is, it's hard just being a person, you know, and even like the empathy that I have for my parents, you know, like just, I, I don't know about you, but just getting up in the morning sometimes is difficult, you know, getting your laundry done, having food in your fridge, you know, remembering, you know, this person wants that at that time, you know, 
putting food on the table for your children. I don't have children. And I, I'm just like, I've got friends who've got children. I'm just like, I just don't know how you do it. Because I find it like difficult, mm. you know, just like getting getting myself out the door, you know, some days. Like, so that's, that's the first thing to say. Being a young person, puberty, full stop is hard for everybody. So then if you've got all of this other crap to deal with on top of it, it's just like, no wonder we're losing so many people you know and, and and we've got to do something about it so that everybody gets to be who they could be mm, i love that and what an amazing way to come to the end of this episode but before you leave we always ask one question at the end of every episode and that is in the reign of your life what is the one rule you will always live by well i so i have a rule which is um just be kind, which is really Pollyanna-ish. But I just feel like, I feel like we don't have enough kindness in the world at the moment. Mm. And I'm just like, just be nice to people. But I'm going to, I'm going to actually refer to you to Lady Di, my best friend, Steffi. Her, it's a bit basic. I'm going to, I'm going to say it. It is a bit basic. Um, But hers is, life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. Yes. Get that mystique on a boombox and get dancing in that rain, right? Dance in the rain. Yeah, but I'm 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 calling her out as a basic bitch. So she'll <laughs> kill me when she hears this. But I do love it. I love it. I love it. I love Sometimes it. the most basic bitch statements are actually so true. Right? I mean they're there for a reason. Also as well, I don't know how this fits into anything, but I interviewed uh Boy George back in the day when I was uh an intern at Gay Times magazine. And at, and at the end of it, he, he leaned into me and he said, always remember you're a womble. <laughs> I don't know what it means. <laughs> I don't know if that was specifically for me or if it's something he says to everybody, but it always stuck with me. <laughs> I feel like I've given you a lot of, a lot of highly quotable material here. <laughs> Babe, I didn't expect anything don't, less. Don't say I don't deliver. And it's been amazing having you on Make It Rain. And thank you so much for talking so powerfully about your story and your experiences. Because, like, I I know you don't like the term role model, but, like, I took a lot away from your book. And I think it's changed a lot of the way that I think about my my experience growing up. And really? that's, that's incredible. So thanks oh, so thank much, Oh, thank you. Babe. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Make It Rain with Pride. I hope you enjoyed listening to this chat as much as I have. And I hope, like me, there are many things you'll take away from this and use in your own life. Before I go, I just want to mention an incredible LGBTQ plus charity I work with. The LGBT Foundation has helped over 600,000 people a year maintain their health and well-being whilst empowering members of the community to live authentically. If you're struggling or just need to find your community, I put a link in the show notes if you want to check them out and see all the amazing work that they do. And I'll see you next time.